So uh, Thursday, this last Thursday, Alpha started, and uh, we had to, at the church, those that work here, they had the meal in crock pots cooking all day, and that smell wafting, and everybody on staff wished they were an Alpha because of that meal. Um, so, all right, guys. Jesus said, love God, not just with all of your heart, but with all of your mind. And frankly, I don't think we can be fully equipped as witnesses to reach the current generation without both flowing hearts and sharp minds. This morning and tonight, we're going to engage the mind. And uh, I've got a different message tonight. It's, it's just, it's really important, especially for young people. Guys, it's not enough anymore to teach young people what to think. Here's the right answers. Here's what you should think. We need to teach our young people how to think. We need to teach them how to think. We need to, not just what is true, why it's true. And, and so I, I just really want to encourage us as a church to not be afraid of the mind. Sometimes we can think that, we, we need, that, that we're transformed by a, re, a removal of our mind. No, no, that's God's, God, God likes your mind. He made your mind. He wants us to think. Um, Okay, so could we stand in honor of God's word together, please? Uh, If you have a Bible with you, turn to Romans chapter one. Because it's such a short passage, I don't have my glasses on. Starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, open our hearts. And this morning, especially, we're praying, open our minds to engage with truth. Your truth. You've certainly put truth in the Bible and in redemption. Show us also the truth that you placed in creation. Lord, we give you praise. We give you thanks. Have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So it's titled this morning, The Evidence of Creation. Point one is, creation is evidence of a designer. The creation itself is proof of God. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal, not this last Christmas Eve, but the year before it, it, it was called uh, 
has science proven God? And so I, well, when I was working on it, I'm going to go back and try to find that, that uh, article. And what I found was a YouTube by the guy that wrote the article um, where he gives the article and he's got graphics. And I'm like, this is just way better than me explaining what the article says. So we're going to bring the lights down and show you this. It lasts five minutes. So gear yourselves up. Here we go. The cover reflected the fact that many people had accepted the cultural narrative that God is obsolete, that as science progresses, there's less need for a God to explain the universe. It turns out, though, that the rumors of God's death were premature. In fact, perhaps the best arguments for his existence come from, of all places, science itself. Here's the story. The same year Time featured its now famous headline, the astronomer Carl Sagan announced that there were two necessary criteria for a planet to support life, the right kind of star and a planet the right distance from that star. Given the roughly octillion planets in the universe, that's one followed by 24 zeros, there should have been about septillion planets, that's one followed by 21 zeros, capable of supporting life. With such spectacular odds, scientists were optimistic that the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, known by its initials SETI, an ambitious project launched in the 1960s, was sure to turn up something soon. With a vast radio telescopic network, scientists listened for signals that resembled coded intelligence. But as the years passed, the silence from the universe was deafening. As of 2014, researchers have discovered precisely bubkis. Not a zilch, which is to say zero, followed by an infinite number of zeros. What happened? As our knowledge of the universe increased, it became clear that there were, in fact, far more factors necessary for life, let alone intelligent life, than Sagan supposed. His two parameters grew to 10, then 20, and then 50, which meant that the number of potentially life-supporting planets decreased accordingly. The number dropped to a few thousand planets and kept on plummeting. Even SETI proponents acknowledged the problem. Peter Schenkel wrote in a 2006 piece for Skeptical Inquirer, a magazine that strongly affirms atheism, in light of new findings and insights, we should quietly admit that the early estimates may no longer be tenable. Today, there are more than 200 known parameters necessary for a planet to support life, every single one of which must be perfectly met or the whole thing falls apart. For example, without a massive, gravity-rich planet like Jupiter nearby to draw away asteroids, Earth would be more like an interstellar dartboard than the verdant orb that it is. Simply put, the odds against life in the universe are astonishing. Yet, here we are, not only existing, but talking about existing. What can account for it? Can every one of those many parameters have been perfectly met by accident? At what point is it fair to admit that it is science itself that suggests that we cannot be the result of random forces? Doesn't assuming that an intelligence created these perfect conditions in fact require far less faith than believing that a life-sustaining Earth just happened to beat the inconceivable odds? But wait, there's more. 
The fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on a planet is nothing compared with the fine-tuning required for the universe to exist at all. For example, astrophysicists now know that the values of the four fundamental forces – gravity, the electromagnetic force, and the strong and weak nuclear forces – were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. Alter any one of these four values ever so slightly, and the universe as we know it could not exist. For instance, if the ratio between the strong nuclear force and the electromagnetic force had been off by the tiniest fraction of the tiniest inconceivable fraction, then no stars could have formed at all. Multiply that single parameter by all the other necessary conditions, and the odds against the universe existing are so heart-stoppingly astronomical that the notion that it all just happened defies common sense. It would be like tossing a coin and having it come up heads ten quintillion times in a row. I don't think so. Fred Hoyle, the astronomer who coined the term Big Bang, said that his atheism was greatly shaken by these developments. One of the world's most renowned theoretical physicists, Paul Davies, has said that the appearance of design is overwhelming. Even the late Christopher Hitchens, one of atheism's most aggressive proponents, conceded that without question the fine-tuning argument was the most powerful argument of the other side. Oxford University professor of mathematics Dr. John Lennox has said, The more we get to know about our universe, the more the hypothesis that there is a creator gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. The greatest miracle of all time is the universe. It is the miracle of all miracles, one that inescapably points to something or someone beyond itself. I'm Eric Metaxas for Prager University. Join Prager University. In 2003, Antony flew the most famous atheist at that time. He had been debating college professors uh, about Christianity and atheism around college campuses all the way back to the 1950s. He, he debated C.S. Lewis way back when, and he was the number one proponent for atheism, and he had all of his arguments. Well, in the 90s, he became friends with the guy that he debated. He was debating Gary Habermas from campus to campus, and they became friends, and he asked him for source material. Could you, you've got one argument that is so strong, I need to read your source material uh, to, to figure out what my defense is going to be. So he goes back and, and reads the source material, and in 2003, he recants atheism. This was a huge story. It came out in Time Magazine, uh, the uh, Newsweek in the USA Today. He wrote a book then called There Is a God. Here's what Anthony Flew said. What I think the DNA material has done is shown is show that intelligence must have been involved in getting these extraordinarily diverse elements together. The enormous complexity by which the results were achieved looked to me like the work of intelligence. 
The problem was there's no way to, DNA is libraries of information. There's no natural way to get more information. How do you get more information without a designer, without an intelligence? It takes intelligence to get intelligence. So Anthony Flew recanted and debated a number. He, he, he died in 2010. He wrote a book called There Is a God, which he, he was a theist, not a Christian, although he did give an appendix to N.T. Wright on the resurrection. Um, Leading intelligent design scholar, or one of them, Stephen Meyer. He says, a simple note written with a pen on a piece of paper says to us intelligence. The idea that there is within the chemicals of the paper and the ink, that if they are left together long enough that they could write their own note, is, is very, it's very hard to, 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 to believe that. But I, I want you to understand something. Both explanations are a faith explanation. If you find a note written, written with ink on a piece of paper and you didn't see anyone write it, then believing that somebody wrote it and left it there is a faith explanation. You didn't see it. Nor can you run an experiment to make sure. It's simply more reasonable. It's a more reasonable faith explanation than believing that left long enough, ink, the chemicals in ink and paper themselves can make a intelligible note. So both are faith. One just takes more faith than the other. Let's say that you work up enough faith to believe that that note was, it, that the ink and, and, the, and the paper and, and those chemicals, you know, just given enough time, made their own note. Let's just say that you did work up enough faith to believe that. You still have a problem. Where did the ink and the paper come to start with? You're still, it doesn't solve your problem. The elephant in the room of a science, or the elephant in the room of a science classroom is intelligent design. Famous atheist Oxford professor Richard Dawkins writes this in The Blind Watchmaker. Quote, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. He refers to that, of course, as an illusion. The feature of living matter that most demands explanation is that it is almost unimaginably complicated in directions that convey, convey a powerful illusion of deliberate design. Professor Francis Crick has advice for his biology students, quote, biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed, but rather evolved. What does God think about this? Well, I'll tell you what. Romans 1, 21 and 22, it's the next two verses. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. 
But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Point one, creation is evidence, overwhelming evidence of a designer. Point two, creation is evidence of God's character. It says that creation is the visible manifestation of the invisible nature of God, that God is actually trying to communicate through what he has made things about who he is. Let's, let's think for just a moment about his majesty. Think about the stars. That was your cue. When I say think about the stars, yeah, there we go. Boom. Why did God make so many stars? Why did he make stars way beyond what we can even see? Why for many, many, many millennium, they only thought there were like six or 7,000 and then they got telescopes they could see farther and farther and they're like, oh my, oh my, this thing is so much bigger than we can grasp. We can only see with our most powerful telescope a fraction of the universe. What is God speaking? It's about his majesty. It's about, it should create humility in us, guys. No matter how much you see, no matter how great your revelation is, the Apostle Paul himself said, we see in part. We've, we, God has shown us a few things, yes, but the idea that we know God in his fullness, no, it's not so. It is not so. Thank God for what he has revealed, and we grab a hold of that. But God is way bigger than what you know about him right now. The majesty of God should create awe and worship in our hearts. His beauty. Think about a rose. Ingenious. He, he puts both beauty and fragrance in this flower, and then he has wind that wafts the, the, it's beautiful to look at, it's beautiful to smell. Wow, who is the God who designed this? The beautiful God. It turns out that roses are packed with all kinds of vitamins and you are used for medicine, perfumes and teas. All kinds of healing virtues are in many plants, but roses included. His wisdom and his abundance are seen in seeds. So God's big method of design was the seed. He made them, he created seed-bearing plants. You see that little apple seed there in the picture? You know how many apples are in that apple seed? Infinite. Here's how it works. You plant that apple seed, you water it, you tend it, you weed it, let it grow, and it makes an apple tree. On an apple tree, there are roughly 200 apples. And in every one of those apples is an average of five seeds. 
So now you've got a thousand apple seeds. Not only do you get to eat the apples, you've got a thousand new seeds that can all be planted, make a thousand trees, and you can do the math. There's an infinite amount. The, the abundance of God is, is in seeds. Uh, think about corn. Think about an acre of corn. One corn seed produces one stalk and one ear of usable corn. They're actually working on that to get it to two. That one ear of corn has 600 more seeds or kernels that can be eaten or planted. So in one acre of corn, a farmer typically plants 36,000 seeds, of which, in our current day, about 35,000 of them will produce a stalk and an ear so now, in one acre of corn, we have 21 million seeds which can all be planted. Who is God that he had this idea where he would take something so small and he would just put this unbelievable abundance in it? Stunning. Let's talk about his creativity. Let's look at the giraffe. <laughs> Do you know what it takes for a giraffe to drink water like this? See, just, just the sheer makeup of uh, the, the blood coming down a giraffe's neck should make his brain explode when he tries to get a drink of water. And when he, gets it, when he gets up, the blood rushing out of his brain should cause him immediately to pass out. Do you know why, why a giraffe can bend down like this and get a drink of water? Because God made this little sponge that's right next to the brain, and so when he bends down, the blood rushes into this sponge, and the sponge just lets a little blood in at a time. And when he gets back up, once again, the blood doesn't all rush out, it, the sponge stops it, and so it, it goes out a little at a time. This is what it takes for a giraffe to drink water. Let's look at a woodpecker. Everything about a woodpecker is amazing. Okay? It's got this special beak that can make holes in stuff. And it's funny because it makes holes in, in trees for a lot of different animals. It doesn't just serve itself. But to be able to bang that hard, it has this special shock absorber that God put in for its brain. And then it's got this, this crazy tongue. This tongue, for, for that tongue to go back in its mouth, it, it coils around its brain. It coils around its brain, and it's got this sticky substance that is the exact dimensions of stickiness so that it doesn't stick to itself, but it's sticky enough that when it goes out, it grabs insects and other food inside of a tree by just putting its tongue in there. The design of God. Why, what, God, why? Why did you do this? He loves creativity. Think about an eagle's eye. 
An eagle can see a rabbit from two miles away. An eagle's retina is five times more sensitive than a human eye. It has two fovias instead of one on its retina. Instead of seeing three basic colors, it sees five. So it can pick animals out that are camouflaged. What about beavers? You know what that is? It's a beaver's eyelid. It's transparent. Beavers spend a lot of time underwater. They've got special lungs where they can hold their breath for like 20 minutes, and God gave them goggles so they could see underwater. Isn't that astonishing? God, God is filled with wonder and creativity. He can't help himself. Every snowflake is different. Everyone is beautiful, and every single one is different. They found this out about stars. Every single star is different, just like every snowflake is different. And we all know we're different. We don't even need to go into that. All right. Point three, creation is evidence of our need for redemption. For all of creation's beauty, something has gone horribly wrong with creation. We have got volcanoes and earthquakes and tornadoes, tsunamis. We've got horrible devastation happening in creation. As you look closer to the animal kingdom, you see the animals are in hostility toward one another. You see there's a food chain. We've got animals eating animals and and sometimes in the most violent, torturous way. It's very uncomfortable sometimes to watch National Geographic when the lions come out and these beautiful wildebeests or zebras start to get devoured. We were, we, we were on a safari last, last summer when we went to Rob and Jackie's wedding in Kenya and, and we, we saw a crossing. It was horrible, guys. The wildebeests were all lined up to make, the, they've got a migration, they're all lined up for the crossing and we can see the alligators, wait, the crocodiles are waiting for them. And they start crossing and, and the alligators are in the water and you can see them coming and it's, gonna be, it's going to be brutal. It's bad on National Geographic, but it's worse live. Something is wrong with creation. Something has gone wrong with creation. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 8. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. I'm going to just read a couple more verses here. We know that the whole creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So here's, here's what's going on with creation. Creation, this current world, was not created with the idea of perfection. That doesn't seem right. God's a perfect God. Why wouldn't he have made it perfect? Actually, this is, this is a reason for atheism. Because they do the math. God is all loving. God is all powerful. God is perfect. Then why is the world a mess? This is an argument against a perfect, holy, all-loving God. He would never allow it to be the way it is. Unless, of course, his, perfect, his purpose was never perfection for this current world. Pastor Tom, how can you say such a thing? Because God, God knew beforehand that Adam and Eve were going to sin. He did not cause them to sin. God is, can, God is in the light. He is light. He cannot do evil. He cannot cause evil. He, but he does foreknow. So he foreknew their sin. He foreknew the curse that would come on all of creation because of sin. He foreknew the devastation that would be a reality because of man's sin. He had put man in charge. Man had dominion over everything. So when man rebelled, everything under his care came under a curse. Why did he still create? Because his purpose for this world right now was not perfection, it was redemption. His plan right from the beginning was redemption. It says in Revelation that Christ died before the world was created. That in the plan of God, God foreknew the whole thing and he decided to go through with it anyway because he wanted to show people and angels and all of creation how great his love is in redemption. So creation itself, it says, is waiting for redemption. Creation itself is groaning the birth pangs, the birth pains of volcanoes and tornadoes, and Jesus listed them, that these are, these are the groanings, these are birth pains that, that are going to increase as his second coming gets closer. There's, a, there's something coming. The curse is coming off, folks. The curse is coming off of this thing. Why, why, Jesus already died. Why doesn't he just take the curse off now? He's, he's making a leadership team right now. And at his coming, we first will be redeemed fully. Full redemption means not just our soul and spirit. If, you're, if you love Jesus today, if you've accepted Christ, you are already redeemed, spirit, soul. But it's at his coming that our bodies are redeemed. And redemption becomes full. And when we come into the fullness of our redemption, this is what God's waiting for. Then creation itself will have its curse lifted. 
and we will see the perfection of God in creation that right now we can't see. So God has given all of this evidence of himself. But it says it also gives evidence of his own nature, of who he is. Where is that evidence? Here we go. Romans 2, 14 and 15. When Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So God has given tremendous evidence to every human being of his existence and that we are created in the image of God by putting a conscience in us. Every human being has a sense of right and wrong in them. Now, you can twist what that right and wrong is. You can harden yourself to it, but we're all born with it. We all have this moral dilemma inside of us that the animals don't have. We're in the image of God. This is evidence of God's righteousness. You know, and, and, and who he is. It's, it's kind of funny because the atheist argument is actually an argument for God, not against God. So here, here's, the, here's the argument. An all-loving and all-perfect God would never have made a world like this. Okay? In other words, it's wrong. The suffering that goes on is wrong. Who told you it was wrong? How do you know it's wrong? Shouldn't it be exactly what you expect if we're just chemicals and just evolved? Why do you have such righteous indignation that it's wrong? Because God gave you a conscience. (laughs) There is a problem with a conscience. (laughs) Here's the problem with our conscience. Because we know right from wrong, we assume we're good people. Because we know what good is and what evil is, we assume we're good. Human beings are amazing at being able to justify their own actions while being outraged by others. It's amazing what we can excuse in ourselves and say, I'm a good person, I'm a good person, I'm a good person. And our conscience is giving us evidence after evidence after evidence. You're not that good. What about this? What about that? What about that? What about that? And we can always have a reason. Well, I was tired, or I was this, or I was that, or I wasn't brought up right, or da-da-da-da-da. There's always a reason why I'm innocent, even though others are guilty. Evidence within us that we need redemption. Evidence that we are sinners who need a savior. God has put it right within us. It's not just creation that's groaning. Human beings are groaning for redemption. This is the longing 
of our hearts. So here's the problem. In our idealism, oftentimes we have a goal of perfection. And we dream of perfection. And then we live disappointed. Our hearts are broken because we're not having the perfect life. We don't have the perfect kids. We don't have the perfect spouse. Watch out, man. (laughs) You may not want to verbalize that. We don't have the perfect job. We've got this vision of perfection, but we're not experiencing it, and it, it leads to heartbreak and disappointment. It leads to many, many strivings. It leads to fear that I'm not good enough. It leads to guilt that I'm not as good as other people. It leads to oftentimes deep cynicism. Because when I started out, I tried to be perfect. And now I'm not perfect. And everything around me is not perfect. Everything around me is a mess. And so what's God asking of us? Here's what God's asking of us. He wants us to recognize that his purpose for you in this life was never perfection. It was redemption. You and I are disqualified for perfection. But the Bible says that the the sacrifice God accepts is a broken and contrite heart. If we will just agree with God's purpose for our lives, which is redemption, all of a sudden, it all starts making sense. Oh, Here's why I'm not perfect. I can't be perfect. I have to come to Christ. Now, thank God, there is a plan in the future where we will come into perfection. Bible says that we have been predestined to come into the image of his son. When we see Jesus, we will be like he is. There is a perfection. The groaning that we have in us, there is an answer to that groaning. It's just not in this life. And if you, if you live in this life with this purpose of perfection, you are going to live disappointed with yourself. You're going to live disappointed with your friends. You're going to live disappointed, 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 and eventually have to become a cynic to protect yourself. You're going to have to harden yourself to protect it. Okay, you, want, you might want to write this down. I'm going to say something now you may want to write down. Do not let the perfect thing you can dream of, that you can imagine, destroy the really good thing that you have. Do not let the perfect wife that you can imagine that's just got all the right curves, she's intelligent, she always does whatever you want her to do. Do not let that wife in your imagination destroy the really good wife you have right now. Do not let the perfect job you can dream of destroy the blessing of the job you currently have. 
Don't, don't let the thorn in your life that you have asked God to remove it. You have asked God because this thorn is ruining my life. This health condition, this child, this whatever it is, this thorn, I've asked God, I've, I've begged God to take it away and I, don't let that thorn ruin your life. Folks, all you gotta do is talk to people, just interview people. Everybody's got one of those thorns. Everybody's got one of the, nobody's got the perfect life in here. This, wasn't, this life wasn't about perfection. It was about redemption. And if we grab a hold of this purpose of redemption, we can actually enjoy the process. We have right now evidence of God's presence that we celebrate, and we have evidence of his absence for which we long for his return. We are in between in redemption. And so we're, we're bringing his presence. We're, we're pointing to his, his, his presence. We're ministering healing and, and purpose and everything. But we don't have this ideal that everything's going to get better because we're here. No, there's going to be things left undone because we're supposed to be groaning. We're supposed to be groaning for the perfect one who is coming. He is coming back. All right, so let's end with a story. If we end a little early, perfect. Then you'll be able to come back tonight. <laughs> so we got our oil changed on our Passat. It's a, it's a 2003 VW Passat, and it's got this very strange requirement of oil, it's a very rare oil called 5W40, and you can barely get it now, only in synthetic. So we get an oil change, they put in the wrong kind of oil, and so I have to take it back because the, the, the light is coming on, the, the, the engine light's coming on, and so they put, they put the new oil in, the right oil in. The problem is, is the engine light keeps going off. And guys, I don't mean, I don't mean this unobtrusive light that comes on. It's got this beep. Beep! And the light's going and it's flashing and it says, stop! And it's got an exclamation point. And then get out the owner's manual. It's got a picture of an oil can going like this. And I mean, it's just, it's really, really bad. It's just, you know. And I'm like, okay, we, you know, we, 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 had, we put the wrong oil in and something's wrong with the sensor. And so I, I just take it in to the repair shop and, and I say, you know, here's what happened. And, you know, we put the wrong oil in and something, something got messed up. And so, so he's like, yeah, he says, it's probably, it's probably just the, it's the oil pressure sensor. It's probably just the oil pressure sensor. So they put a new oil pressure sensor in. Praise God. That's an easy fix. $198. It's not that bad. I'm driving my, our Passat. I'm so happy that this oil light is fixed. I don't remember where I am or what I'm doing. And um, all of a sudden, beep, flashing light. Stop, stop. 
exclamation point, do not go, do not pass go, do not collect $200. I mean, it's all there. It's just like, you need to pull over right now. And I know I don't need to pull over. I know this is just this light and, and I'm gonna have to take it back and figure out what's wrong. And so I, I take it back again and the head guy says, uh, he says, you know, I've done a little research on the, on the 2003 Passat on this specific engine. It does have a problem sometimes catching sludge in, in the catch under the engine. And so we can, we can flush this out for you. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a big process, but um, he said, we'll, we'll, we'll just test it again. So I, I leave it there again, and they run all of their tests, and they come back, and, and uh the head guy who had to go on vacation, so he's gone. So I'm, I'm dealing with the lady at the front desk, and she comes in. And she's got a smile on her face. She's like, it was a faulty sensor. The new sensor we put in was faulty. There's nothing wrong with your car. And no additional charge. <laughs> Guys, do you know what it is to get a bill and it has zero at the bottom? <laughs> it's just a great feeling. It's just an amazing feeling. And I am, I could not be happier. So I decide. Was there a comment? So, uh, so I have to take a, a guy, friend of mine, to Baraboo. He's got a court hearing. He needs to be there by this time. We had set this up a long time ago. And, uh, I need, uh, it's my job to get him there. I'm going to stand with him in this hearing. And we are almost to bearable. We're like a mile from the exit. Beep. By this time, though, I'm, I'm callous. I'm like, dude, that seems really bad and alarming. Don't believe it. There is, there is nothing wrong with this car. They just, they just tested it. We're having some type of sensor problem, but just be at peace, not a problem. So we keep going, and all of a sudden, there's noises are increasing. It's knocking. I literally, I, I have to get him to this appointment, but it's a hearing. I mean, there's going to be consequences if he's not there on time, and I, I'm... But there's no way. There's just no way. I pull over on the side of the road, and I call it. We have a church in Baraboo, and I called the church there, and they sent somebody out to pick him up, and I called AAA, and they tow the Passat over to the, 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 the repair shop in Baraboo, and the guy looks at it, and, and uh, he says, I got some bad news for you. The engine is destroyed. You have destroyed the engine. He said, this kind of vehicle has a sludge problem in the catch, and, and, uh, and all of my sensors say that that engine was not getting oil, and, and it's, 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 it's ruined. How many know that's a bad day? <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad day. That's, so so I, I, I have them tow it back to the place that fixed it and told me it was okay. And I come back to my office and I write out this long thing of exactly what happened on what date, at what time, boom, 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 boom. And at the bottom I say, I am hoping 
that you will take responsibility for, for what has happened. And I've got a really good mechanic friend who said, you know, I don't think so. You know, that's why you sign all those liability things. You know, you know those things that you initial here, initial here, initial here, those things you never read? Those are the ones that say, we don't, we're not going to be responsible for whatever you do. You know, so um, you may want to read those sometime. <laughs> so, but I'm, pr- I'm just praying. I am praying. We need this vehicle. And so... I, uh, the, 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 uh, finally, the guy that's the manager of the shop gets back from vacation. I give him a couple days to look over what I have chronicled as has having happened, and, and uh, I get together with him, and, and he says, you got to ask yourself a question. What? He said, he, he was just so great. He's like, you know what? We want to take responsibility. This is our bad he said, now, we can't fully take responsibility because this engine was going bad anyway. This was eventually going to happen. Even if we had done the flush, it would have happened. But he said, I want to take responsibility. He said, but you have a question that you have to ask, that you have to answer for yourself. What is your plan for this car? What is your plan? I know exactly what he's asking. Maybe it's time to just get rid of the car. Find something else. And I look at him and I say, I'm a used car guy. I said, this is the best car we own. I said, I I want this car to get fixed. And it was funny because he lit up and he said, I've been calling around and I found an engine for this. He said, I tell you what, I... It's got way less miles than the current engine does. He said, he said, I will give you this engine at my cost, but I'm going to wash this thing up. I'm going I'm to get the sludge out, and I'm going to donate all of my labor. We're, we're going to give it to you. You're, you're going to have this car back with an engine that's like new. We'll see if all that happens. I haven't gotten it back yet. <laughs> So here it is. Here it is, guys. Pastor Tom, why would you bore us with this story? Let me tell you. Let me tell you what this story is about. Let me tell you what this story is about. You go, you, we've all got an oil pressure sensor in us. It's called a conscience. It, does, it is not able to, to do anything. It doesn't give oil. It just measures whether there's oil there. And that little thing called conscience has gone off. It's beeped, it's beeped, it's beeped. It says this. You were created to have oil flowing through you. And just because you're still running, just because you're able to get from point A to point B and survive in this life, you were created for more. You were supposed to have oil flowing in you and through you. You were created for this. You don't work right without that oil. And this sensor is going off. It's going off. It's going off. And, of course, we're too busy to pull over. And it's saying, pull over, pull over, pull over. Here's why. This specific model of human being 
and I'm talking about me and you, it has a sludge problem. It's called sin. Sin separates us from the presence of God. Sin could never separate us from the love of God. God loves you no matter how horribly you've sinned. Jesus died for you no matter how horribly you've sinned. But you've got a sludge problem. And sin will cut you off from the immediate presence of God because he's holy. So what Jesus did is he died on a cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. Has anybody seen the movie Risen yet? Praise God, two people. Um, It's an incredible movie. It's called Risen. It's in the theaters right now. I'm not going to say another thing, but except that when Jesus is risen, the disciples, all of a sudden, they're not afraid. And the Roman guard is like, "Why, why aren't you guys afraid? He's like, they just said this. Everything is different. Guys, the resurrection changes everything. No one knew the full plan of God. Why, why are we here? What is going on? It was shadowed in the Old Testament, but with the resurrection, it's like, oh my, this is what God was thinking about all along. Redemption. Redemption is on his mind. Jesus died for our sludge problem. And so what happens, he's coming to you and he's coming to me and he's saying, what is your plan for your life? Is it, is it going to be cynicism? Is it going to be self-justification? Are you in pride just going to say, I'm going to drive this new, this old clicky model until it just breaks down and then I'm going to die because I refuse to agree because I'm not perfect. I'm angry. Or will you say, hey, If there's a plan of redemption, I'm in. And the Lord's got a big smile on his face and he's saying, I've got a new engine for you. I've I've already solved the sludge problem. I'm I'm gonna wash you. I'm gonna cleanse you of your sin so that oil can, the oil of my Holy Spirit so that you can learn how to live in union with God so that you can learn how to live in relationship with me, in fellowship with me and that you can go farther and do more than you ever could have before because you are one with me. God is excited about redemption and here's the thing guys, if you and I will just lay down our vision of perfection and grab a hold of this purpose of redemption. In fact, is get excited about Here's it. You want to see God's perfection? His plan of redemption is a perfect plan. It does not fail. It will not fail any single one of us. You just got to hold on. He who began a good work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Come on. If we will grab a hold of it, we will see the entire world differently. Everybody was created to be redeemed. Of course nobody's perfect. Everybody was created for this. Everybody's got a sludge problem, if they'd only admit it. And Jesus loves everybody, and he wants to save them. I'm out of time. Okay, worship team can come. Would you, could we just bow our heads for just a moment and close our eyes? I've got two groups I'm going to pray for very quickly. Our first one is this. 
you are here today and you have been living under the fear and the guilt of the perfection model. You have been disappointed. You have been heartbroken. Maybe you've even become cynical. Maybe you're an atheist. Maybe you, you've, you've come to a place you don't even believe in God. How could there even be a loving God? And, and there's almost anger. And today, you recognize God, God is real. God is real. And my sensor is going off, saying, pull over. Pull over. You've got an oil problem. Please hear what that pullover is saying. It's not just saying you've got a problem. It's saying this, I love you. I love you. I died for you. I want you to join me in my redeeming purpose, not just for you, but for all people and for even the creation itself. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. Jesus only knocks because there is no handle on his side. He will not override your free response. You have to decide you're going to join him in this plan. Today, if you hear him knocking, and he's got a number of ways to make it known that this is more than man giving a speech, that this is actually God knocking. You know Jesus is knocking, and you want to Open the door. Would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? See that hand in back. God bless you. See that hand over here. God bless you. Look at all over the place. I, I got you, bro. God bless you up in front. Thank you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray in just a moment. Your broken spirit and contrite heart qualify you for God's purpose. They don't disqualify you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray that prayer in just a moment. All right, I'm going to ask those that raise their hand to just put your hand over your heart and pray something like this. Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Lord, I give you all of my disappointments. I give you all of my guilt. I give you all of my fear. And I give you this tremendous need to have sin washed out of my life so that I can be filled with your very presence, your very goodness, your very life. Lord, I repent of my sins and I open the door of my life and say, come in, save me, wash me, and make me your own. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Could we stand together? Second call is you are a believer. And you just want to give, you just want to come on board. Maybe you have been pursuing perfection and just like you're always short, always short, always short. You live in fear and guilt all the time. And today you just want to come on board with God's plan of redemption to just bring that which you couldn't change yourself. And just say, God, I give you my broken, contrite spirit and I join you. Would you just open your arms like this and we're going to pray and, and conclude. Lord, you're so amazingly good. Lord, we know as believers, 
just because we're believers does not mean the oil's flowing. That it doesn't mean that sludge hasn't got in, and it doesn't mean that we're living the way we should live. And so, God, today we bring you our disappointment. We bring you our fear. We bring you every false expectation we've had. Lord, thank you. A heaven is coming where every desire can be completely fulfilled. But we're not in heaven yet. We had a little time here. God, we give you our groanings for something more. Our groanings that oftentimes we have put on other human beings and it's created disappointment and conflict and anger. And Lord, we, we put that groaning and we put it towards heaven and we say this, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Do you know there's a special reward in heaven just for those who longed for his appearing? I want that crown. <laughs> I don't want to have all my eggs down here and God just make this life really awesome. I don't want that. The best is yet to come, folks. Strengthen your people, God. Lord, give us more joy, more happiness now. Lord, we give you all those ideal imaginations that are destroying really good things that are right in front of us if we would just have eyes to see it. And Lord, we want to engage this process of redemption for ourselves, but we want to see the world just like those original apostles did through the resurrection when they said in this movie, oh, this changes everything. Help us, God, to see through the lens of redemption, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, I... Thank you, Lord. Isn't God good? want to give you a special invitation to tonight. It is at 6 to 7.30. It's a different message. It's called Reconciling the Bible and Science, 6 to 7.30, and we'll have child care downstairs. God bless you. Have a great day. If you want more prayer, come on up.